I grew up here, yep, and uh, been here. I spent you know my my childhood here, and then when I was eighteen, I moved out to L.A. But actually, I started spending summers in L.A. when I was younger, like when I was thirteen, and I'd kind of get internships and in, at various places uh, all through basically junior high and high school. So you were interning when you were thirteen. Yeah. So you were a, you're a real go getter. I yeah. I mean, well, I would just my brother already lived in L.A., yeah. and I would go out there and. Just, yeah, get, like, it was much more fun than hanging out at home and, like, doing dumb shit with my friends. Like, I would go. I I worked at – some of the internships were not the most amazing jobs. Like, I was, like, shrink-packing skateboards. (laughs) For, you know, a 13-year-old. I guess that's technically child labor at that point. But, you know, it's not a bad gig for a 13-year-old. Yeah. No, like You were, like, in and around skateboard culture, so that's something. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was cool. It was great, actually. I loved it. I loved spending the summers out there. It was just me and my brother, and like by the time I was like fifteen, oh, he was like he had this like six hundred dollar car that he gave me, and I didn't have a license, but I still was like driving cruising around L.A. in this six hundred dollar Ford, fucking around. I don't know if anybody really knows what they're going to do at thirteen, but did you have like some idea of what the direction you were headed in? I was making a bunch of short films then, and I DJed. I was like already DJing then, but I never really even thought about it too much. You know, like music was something that was always part of my life, even since I was a little kid. Like I always played a bunch of instruments and sang, but it never even crossed my mind. Like, hey, I'm going to be a professional musician or or anything like that. I was just kind of fucking around and not even thinking about it. I really didn't think about it till I was like probably 18. Just as far as like those kind of being like pipe dreams. Yeah, you know, it's weird. A lot of people, they, like, had this vision that they want to do something. And for me, I I didn't have that. I just just did all that, all these things for fun. And then it wasn't until I was, like, 18 and I was like, wait, music is something that people actually do for a living. And that was a big epiphany for me. It's weird to me that it didn't even cross my mind, but it just never did. But maybe that was kind of a good thing because I was able to approach approach all of it with just a a joy there was no like this is for my future it was just maybe and and i probably might not have been able to enjoy it as much you know like you see kids that are super driven when they're young and it's easy to burn out or 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 your approach to what you're doing becomes more about being the best rather than just fucking around and enjoying it and having fun and coming from a place of play which is what kind of what i try and always do with with everything if I can. Does that significantly change the the math of making something though when you start doing it professionally? Hopefully not. I don't think so. It depends on 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 what you're doing. Like I said, I try and approach as much as I can in my life from a place of play, whether, you know, anything, even if it's just hanging out or whatever I'm doing, you know, like going to the bank, anything. Like I want to make it playful. I want to see the world as a, a playground as much as I can. How do you make going to the bank playful? I don't know. I mean, like, well, one thing <laughs> is like... a very specific <laughs> example. It's like, well, it's, for instance, skateboarding, you know, like that's... Or snowboarding or anything like the, those type of sports. It's like, it's a way it transforms the world into like a playground. You see a street rather than a place that you're walking to get to from point A to point B. It's like, oh, wait, this is a playground. This this street right here is something to play with. And it was funny. I, I, I went to the ER the other day. And <laughs> this is not the beginning of a funny story. To, I was with some friends. Yeah. We went to see a movie screening. My one friend, he got a spider bite and he was oh. really scared. And so uh, me and my girlfriend brought him to the uh, to the ER and we were hanging out. And we just, we you know, the ER is not the most lighthearted, fun mm-hmm. place. But 
uh, this is just an example of trying to make everything a game or make be playful with anything. We were just sitting there and we just made made up stories for like every single person in the ER, and it was like I ended up having like the funnest night ever, just hanging out in the ER. You're certainly at a point now where I assume that you have some creative freedom with most of what you do, but do you feel like you were afforded that early on when you first kind of really started doing this in earnest? I mean, it depends. Like, you know, like with my company with Squeaky Clean or and if we're doing some stuff that's with brands, sometimes that stuff becomes really about meeting someone else's needs and making sure they're 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 getting what they need. And even as far as like doing music for Spike or for you know, other directors, you know, it depends on the project. I try and infuse as much play and joy into it as I can. That's just personally me. Some people like creating from a place of uh, pain and stuff. I have a good friend that is really like, she writes all of her music. It's Soko, you know, the artist Soko. She writes all her music from all this pain she has, and it's her way of kind of exercising it. But for me, I find I'm better coming from a place of joy. But a lot of this stuff now, like I just did this series with Impossible Foods and Wu-Tang Clan, and that was just pure fun. Even in the edit at lunch, everything was a game. And, and, and we approached everything in the way we, we shot it, in the way we're editing it, everything. Everything was always up for, for play. How does that come to fruition? I assume they approach you or they approach the Wu-Tang Clan um, first. You approach the Wu-Tang Clan. Riza talk to Jizza. <laughs> Sasha Markova is a good friend of mine. She's kind of head of uh, the, the, the kind of in-house creative team at Impossible. And they wanted to do something with space originally. And it was kind of a, to announce to announce Impossible Burgers now being at White Castle. Yeah. And originally they were kind of thinking about having some other people. They want to do something with space. And they're thinking about having some other kind of well-known people in this series and maybe having Ghost in the series as like the robot computer. And they approached me because I'm like a space fanatic. I've yeah. been like my whole career. Like I had my old project NASA and I just love space. It's been since I was a little kid. I love space and Sasha knows this about me. And so when they approached me, I was like, I wasn't crazy about the other people they were talking to. Not that I have a problem with them, but like I'm a huge Wu-Tang fan. Like I bought Enter the 36 Chambers the day it came out. My cat's named Wu-Tang. And so, so, and so we started talking about it and I was like, let's just get Wu-Tang. Like Wu-Tang is the cool, like Wu-Tang in space flying around talking about the nature of the universe and the meaning of life. Like that's awesome. And Sasha was into the idea and was very, got everybody on board, both at White Castle and Impossible. And kind of because she was coming from this pure place of just wanting to make something great. And and actually everybody on board just like, we don't care too much about doing something producty. We just want to make something awesome. We want to create a culture. A, a cultural yeah. thing rather than an advertising thing more than anything. I'm sure the word viral probably got bounced yeah. around a little bit in the sure, process. For yeah, sure. So I reached out because I've worked with a bunch of the Wu-Tang people and Riz is my friend. At this point, we've worked together a bunch and, and I kind of reached out to them and so, to see if they were interested and kind of told them that it was going to be cool and we weren't going to make them look goofy and, and it wasn't going to feel really corporate. It was really, we're just making something awesome. And, and they got it, you know, like I, I had worked with Rizza, I worked with Ghost, so there was a level of trust there, and I knew yeah. Jizza. I had met him like a, like at a festival before, so there was this kind of level of trust there already. And then, um, and then they're also like, especially Rizza, they're movie fanatic, and they even helped a lot with the thinking around it. You know, like Rizza was putting me on to like. Because I was, like, when I was doing the research for it, I was watching a lot of old Star Trek. But I was also watching, like, 
digging through a bunch of Godzilla movies, and he was putting me. He's like, "Oh, you gotta watch Destroy All Monsters. That has all of the Godzilla kaiju yeah. in it." And he was putting me onto a bunch of stuff like that. And and, uh, and they they really were part of the creative process too. You know, we, we included them. We wanted them to. I mean, they have such a deep philosophy and 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 like kind of mythology around them and there's so much thinking that that's gone into that already so i being a wu-tang fanatic was already kind of feeding off that but getting their input into it and their thinking around it even like you know our spaceship we couldn't figure out the name so uh we brought on dan curry who's our uh who's this great writer he wrote he writes for the eric andre show and and he's just awesome and me sasha and dan were trying to figure out like what the hell is the name of this spaceship you know we knew it wanted we wanted to look like the Wu logo and then we were hanging out with the guys, and we asked him, and Jizz was like, it's the Woo-F-O. Like, I was like, oh, yeah. And he really, Jizz was just like, of course, the Woo-F-O. The creative process is just basically like sitting around and shooting the shit for a while? Yeah, I mean, it was really like, what is this thing? It's, it's, I guess it's probably how you write. I don't know. I've never written like a TV show yeah. before, so I'd imagine it's somewhat how you most people write a TV show, although I don't really know. Yeah, we just kind of banged around a bunch of ideas we knew we wanted to do that they're you know orbiting earth because we wanted to keep the show kind of earth centric and even though they're in space they're still looking back on earth with like love and they're going away from earth to get perspective mm. but but it's all about earthly love it sounds like the sort of thing that would come out of just like like a high conversation but you're in a position <laughs> like you know just a bunch of dudes sitting around saying like let's put the wu-tang in space but like you've made this career for yourself that you're able to be in a position where you can like take this totally crazy thing and make it happen Happen. I guess so. Yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I, I'm lucky enough to have some friends that want to make awesome yeah. shit and, and are, are at places that can do it sometimes and and uh, and, and want to involve me. So that's that's kind of what we did on this one. This is probably something that wouldn't have happened without corporate sponsorship. I mean, that's almost kind of the irony here. This idea probably wouldn't have come to fruition if there weren't these companies behind it. Yeah, it's true. And, and the other crazy thing is it totally wouldn't have happened without the brands. But now there's some conversations happening about like maybe this actually is a is a sh- is a TV show or a show, you know, is a, is a series outside of the brand. Did it feel like you were doing like a pilot potentially? I mean, we didn't really, we kind of thought like, I wonder if this actually is going to become a show, but we weren't approaching it like that. We just approached it like, let's make this as awesome as possible and let's just make something great. I think it was like to, after the first shoot day, we were kind of like Sasha and I and Dan were like, this actually feels like it's like might be have a life outside of this four episode series. And then the kind of response has been so overwhelming in like online. People are just like, I need more. I want more of this. I want this. This has to be a show. And then we're like, all right, we got to see if this actually th- this thing is gonna is gonna be that or not. And so we're kind of still figuring that out now. I mean, I'm I'm really happy with it as is as kind of this standalone thing, and 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 it's been so fun. It was so fun making it. It's been so fun feeling the response and how much how psyched people are on it. And we've been doing some screenings around it as well. Where we we did a screening at the Vortex Dome in L.A. where we just screened all four episodes one after another. And uh, and then like did a DJ party afterwards, mm. and and, uh, and it's just been fun being in the room and feeling like the screening was super rowdy. People were cheering, and we want to do more of those as well around it. These are ostensibly commercials, right? I mean, they are doing ads for for the company and the mm-hmm. product. I'm having sort of trouble imagining like ten years ago the Wu Tang agreeing to do what is essentially a commercial for White Castle. Oh yeah, no, I definitely think there was a stigma around doing anything with brands, you know, especially in the '90s, like it was. Yeah. like super stigmatized selling and, out and yeah you kind of come from a punk background so you've mm-hmm. you've been around i mean like skateboard culture right like selling out poser like that was all those are all big buzzwords yeah 
and now it's it's kind of yeah i think it's i mean especially like the wu-tang guys we all believed in and we believe in impossible we love it the wu-tang guys are almost all vegetarians and i love impossible i'm not a vegetarian but like i love impossible and i'd love to not I'd I'd be really happy if we didn't eat any animals because I love animals and because I want to save our planet. You know, it's getting pretty fucked up. And certainly, you know, agricultural, especially like meat production and cow production is definitely not uh, good for the planet. Yeah, there's something like crazy, like 70% of CO2 or something comes out of cow's asses. Yeah, it's (laughs) it's insane. It's insane. And, And just all the resources that go into it as well. So it's something that I think everybody on board believes in a lot mm-hmm. and wants to help make it a thing. And uh, if a brand wants to help me personally, I could say for myself, if a brand wants to help, I want to make awesome shit. And if I and that's like my number one goal is just to make awesome shit. And, and that's what I want to do with my time. And if it can make the world a better place, that's like a million times better, even if it's by helping Impossible Foods a little bit get the planet less dependent on on meat production maybe we're making the world a better place a little bit and if a brand wants to pay for something like that and and help us do that and know that just by them kind of being associated with you know somebody like the wu-tang clan and be associated with a like a just a cultural series something that's cultural and people just enjoy as far as watching it then, you know, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. How much vetting are you doing of these brands? I mean, you know, I assume like you're not going to pick a client that you think is doing harm or is like yeah, objectively evil. Yeah. But is it a case where you feel like, you know, you need to necessarily like believe in or use or trust the brands or products if you're going to spend your time working with them? Yeah, we try and, you know, it depends on what the project is, you know, like there's there's brands that we do do stuff with, like as far as my company, Squeaky yeah. Clean goes, we'll do stuff with brands that, that uh, you know, we're not vetting super, you know, super deeply. But, you know, as far as, you know, for me, when I'm generally when I'm doing my personal projects or something that's more much more personal to me something that I'm investing a bunch of time in months of my time in and directing or it's you know it's my song that has my name on it I certainly will yeah make sure that it's a company that that I believe in and that is not doing harm to our planet or to people how do you make the transition I mean so you know you start you start creating music professionally how do you sort of end in the advertising space you have your own production company you're spending a significant portion of time working on these totally it's just kind of it's weirdly it kind of just happened organically there was I started by doing music for skate films uh, there was a couple of films early on uh, called yeah right and pretty sweet that were that were really popular skate films and then and from those kind of started doing some music for commercials and then really early on like one of the first commercials ended up winning a bunch of awards and then the company kind of my squeaky clean just kind of grew out like just grew naturally out of out of just doing them and it there was never like a business plan it was more like my friends were coming and hanging out and making music and 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 sometimes it was for records and sometimes it was for commercials and and then before I knew it, there was like a company. I was I was in this tiny house in Hollywood. It was a four, tiny four room house called Crack Alley Studios. Mm-hmm. Literally in a crack alley, there was like people smoking crack and crazy shit going on outside. And all of a sudden, there was like this company in there. And it was you know I was living in this like closet in this house, and there was ten, fifteen people there every day, packed into this tiny house filled with music equipment, and. uh 
and and it just yeah it just kind of it just kind of happened without really much of a plan or it, it was very organic in the way it grew. I mean, was it something that was difficult to reconcile at first when you were like you know creating music and you want to be like a pure form of expression, but then you ended up working with these these corporations? I no, I, I didn't really you never have really an had issue pushback, with it. Yeah. I always had, I've always had like. Okay, like right now, for instance, I'm releasing, you know, I just did this thing with Wu-Tang. Personally, this doesn't feel like a brand. Like, I don't feel like I was, like, making sure. something for a brand. No matter what I've been doing, I always am working on my art kind of stuff that yeah. has nothing to do with branding. Or, or, like, right now I'm releasing a song every month, and I have this other kind of interactive experience thing I'm doing called Sensorium that, that I, uh, is, like, a, this interactive experience that we do every month along with the song release. And... uh and and so there's always projects I'm doing. I, I feel like if I just was doing branded stuff, I might start to stagnate. So having some sort of form of just purely artistic expression and getting my art out there with that's not brand related is, has always been important to me. And it's always been important to – I also think to the culture of my company, even though my culture – my company does a lot of stuff with brands – Everybody at the company is all artists in their own right, or music producers, DJs. Everybody there is like got their own projects going on, and I think maybe that's why those people have been attracted to the company as well, is because they know that it's like a it's a cultural place rather than uh, strictly kind of branding and and corporate work, and, you know. And and I personally am really comfortable with doing the branding work, and and but I also I love doing my artistic stuff as well. I I, I, I like doing both of them. It kind of it fulfills different itches for me. Has the internet and has sort of the idea of things going viral? Do you think that's kind of liberated people working on the creative side of advertising? That you know maybe brands aren't giving push back in the same way that they would have like five, ten, fifteen years ago. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what it is. That's interesting. You say that uh, about the if it's that things are going viral or things going viral has enabled that. But for whatever reason, there seems to be a, a new kind of paradigm. And I think that the Wu-Tang thing kind of struck a chord in that new paradigm of like brands more and more knowing, hey, if we pair with creative people and let them do their thing and just make something great, it's going to look, it's going to reflect really well on our brand and people are going to like us and care about us. I mean, and, and I think, you know, Impossible is a great brand to do that because I think there is like a real, they're, they're, they're like a brand with a fan base, you know, like people love yeah. Impossible. But I think there's also, you know, sort of a tacit understanding that it's not going to go viral if it's just a straight commercial for something. You know, it's it's like it's going to get out there if it's just this like super bizarre thing. It's interesting you say that. The first thing we did, and I don't know if you saw this, but we the first thing we released with Wu-Tang is we just put out this uh, this teaser video. Yeah, and, and, and RZA, it's basically just RZA. It's like the RZA 900, yeah. and RZA's making this announcement. I am no longer the RZA. I am now the RZA 900. I've uploaded my consciousness, and now I am all-knowing. I'm omniscient. If you want your questions, and I've gone to space. If you want your questions answered by me or the Wu-Tang Clan, call this number. And that's how all the questions happen. You know, and people called and we created a voicemail, like old school voicemail. People called up and asked all these amazing questions. Like there was literally like thousands of messages. People from like, hey, should I have a baby with my with my girlfriend to like, what is the meaning of life? And uh, 
So we purposely were like, we're not going to have any branding on this, and we're just going to put this out there. And there was so much Wu Tang love that that we that we discovered, and like listening to these voicemail messages were amazing. But we were like, it did. It, it's exactly what you said. We we knew if we made this a branded thing, it was like people were gonna feel differently about it, and and so we just floated it out there as this thing. Like, and people were like, is RZA? Is he? He's doing it. He might be doing an AI project or something. Yeah. We don't know. Like, but like you can Alexa. But <laughs> oh, that would be awesome, man. Um, but anyway, yeah. So that was kind of the. Uh, that was kind of the concept there, and uh, and yeah, it's true. Because it wasn't branded, it was it would it probably spread in a in a in a much bigger way. And and I also agree, you know, just something having real authenticity as far as creative people just doing something they want to do. That's gonna that's gonna be the thing that does spread virally much more than anything that's out there to sell. As soon as something feels like you're being sold to, you kind of compartmentalize it into this other category of like there's just like a defense that mm-hmm. comes up and you and you kind of half block it you're not as receptive i i get the feeling that most of your career over the years has been very serendipitous i mean like you met CeeLo green in a shoe store in japan yeah yep it was awesome i mean that was yeah it's true i did uh and and uh yeah, it's good how things happen. Like sometimes things. I mean, you were like literally like, you were you were shoe shopping, and you're like, "Here's the." Well, I was right in the middle of making the NASA album, and yeah. the NASA album. A lot of it came together like that. I'd be like, oh, "I really want to get so and so on yeah. the song," and CeeLo was on my list. Like I was like, "I really want to work with CeeLo," and uh, it's like the kind of thing you expect, like when you're in LA, right? You're gonna yeah. run these people, but like Japan. And and there was CeeLo, and yeah. I was already wanting to work with him. For you feel the like record. you like manifested this into the universe, maybe? Maybe, a little bit. maybe, yeah. maybe. Sometimes I do feel like the the yeah, like if I'm really focused on something, I do have powerful manifestation powers. But yeah, and and there he was, and I started talking to him. But it still took like several years before we got into the studio. You know, it took a lot of following him around. I was up on uh, I went on tour with the Chili Peppers and uh. I was gonna. I was doing a song with Frusciante. When it was when Frusciante yeah. was still in the Chili Peppers, yeah. and they were touring with uh, with Narles Barkley at the time. And so I went out to do a song with both CeeLo and Frusciante. CeeLo didn't come to the studio that night, so then I was like, kept missing him in various cities for another year and a half or something. And then finally, he came to the studio like two, maybe it was like two or three years later. It was like CeeLo wants to come by in 20 minutes. Can are you, are you at the studio? And then it ended up happening. So it was very serendipitous yeah. meeting him, and then there was like a ton of follow up before we actually ended up uh, getting to record. So it was serendipitous, but but also like it sounds like you have to in order for the project to come together the way you want to, you have to be incredibly patient. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. Is is that part of? Just like having a lot of different projects going on at the same time, the ability to put something on the back burner for a while? I guess so, yeah. Yeah, and especially with the way I think I put especially music projects together, I kind of – I put it – I'm, I'm working on a ton of stuff simultaneously and even songs I'm writing, there's like, ah, oh, this song's done, but it needs one more – it needs – the chorus is done, but it needs the verses yeah. and who would be the right people for that and – and everybody's so busy in music and, you know, everybody's flying all over the place. And then it just seems to sometimes come together when you're in the right place at the right time 
and some artist that you've been wanting to work with happens to be in Tokyo when you are, and then you get to make it happen. How important, though, is it to actually like do these things in person? I mean, I feel like more and more people are doing a lot of this remotely. Yeah. Uh, personally, I, I feel like it's really important to be in the room together yeah. because I feel like that is the one, that's one of the issues with like kind of this, how everybody's sending stuff around and everybody's collaborating and there's these massive, you know, when NASA came out, there, it wasn't like a thing. There was a couple people that had done big collaborative records like that. Now all the records are great, have tons of features, you know, and, and I feel like there, the one thing that happens is that there's a lack of cohesion to songs and and albums you know that the album is a art form that has transformed a lot and it's in and you know there's different produ you know a lot of times there's a different producer on every song and different features and everything has been sent around and people aren't in the same room and and i feel like music is a really it's a communal art form and it's always been done together with people in a room playing music together and when you have one idea a song is usually comes from an idea or a feeling and keeping everybody sometimes it happens when it comes together kind of in different in 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 pieces you people can fortuitously and serendipitously catch that same feeling and, and keep it feeling as a cohesive song but oftentimes being in the room and talking about it and even if it's not everybody in the room but there's one person say the producer that's talking about the feeling and always bringing it back to the idea and the feeling is really important and, and i feel like you can feel it with records now and, and especially with albums the cohesion and the, the the concept of an album isn't always as kind of well uh isn't as complete as maybe it used to be. And, and it's different now. Not that yeah. it's worse, but it's just a different thing. I, I love albums, and I love conceptual conceptual albums and, and uh, concept albums, and and, um, and that's kind of just how I, I like to work. I talk to a lot of bands, and there's always this kind of consensus that as much as everybody wants it to be a, a fully democratic process, it's got to be kind of dictatorial. There really like has to be like one person in charge, one person really piloting the ship. Is that your role as producer? I think so. It depends. Yeah. If it's my record, certainly. There's certain artists I've worked with where it, that's needed. You know, I think as a producer, similar to as being a director, I think you need to, you kind of know where to, where you need to be strong and where you need to let, give somebody room to just do their thing and, and lead. You know, like I work with Karen O a lot. Mm -hmm. Karen is a, has a vision. She yeah. always has a vision, yeah. you know? And I know. If I'm working with Karen, it's not like I'm going to just shut up and not add anything. Yeah. But when Karen has a vision, has an idea, always follow that idea because it's always fucking right. When she's sure, it's 100% Karen. It's Karen's way, you know? And and I know I trust her so much. I trust her instinct so much. So there's other artists that I work with where I know that they need they need me to be the driver, the pilot. And I love, I love working like that too. I wonder like how much of this sort of comes out of growing up with a – a brother who was also creative and working on projects with him, like if that was the genesis of this desire to really very actively collaborate with other people. I think that's definitely part of it. And I think I just, I like people. I yeah. like being around people. And uh, certainly that helped, you know, working with Spike helped me that he's just, he's so smart and always has such a vision that I learned a lot about kind of following someone's vision from that and serving a vision. But I, as far as like loving to work collaboratively, I just, it's just part of, I think, who I am. It's yeah. like I've always liked working in, in teams and 
and making it's just it's just more fun to me being in a room with somebody and 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 then being alone and being alone is fun too you know but uh for certain parts of prospect of projects like i like writing alone mm. but but in general like i want to spend the majority of my time with people that i like and love having fun with them when you come to something though with like a very distinct vision of what you want to do especially when it's like a track that you're putting down is it difficult to give up control sometimes you know? yeah yeah, uh, but I think yeah, for sure, of course, and I'm, of course I'm a control freak, but I don't know. I, I like to think that I'm I know when it's appropriate to do that, and 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 I'm able to let go. You know, I think there's I've also worked with plenty of artists that have this need to control everything, and it and I see it being destructive. You know, I see it fucking up the project because control is more important to them than greatness you can tell when an artist gets to a point in their career when they're just surrounded by yes men yes yeah that's when things start to get like repetitive and really really terrible yeah and people i think yeah. even as a person you see you can see when people start getting surrounded by yes men and add their character starts to change too and that's yeah it's a drag i mean it seems like you're kind of going out of your way to put your name out there more than before or you know at least like do these projects under your own name yeah i mean i think i i always i had a, like a trillion different monikers always and different projects and you know whether it was nasa or or my weird self-indulgent side project maximum headroom squeaky clean like there was a ton of different names always yeah. and and i think that probably came from like on one hand, kind of being shy mm. and and not really wanting to be the person and being being like always able, kind of having the ability to be uh, anonymous, and I like that, uh, and I still like that to be you, honest. You still, you still consider yourself to be a shy person? Um, yeah, I can be shy. Yeah, I can be shy. Yeah, it depends. It depends how I'm feeling and what the setting is and who I'm around. It's hard to reconcile those two like parts of your personality: the, the shy part and the, the part that can like be in a room and tell like the rizzle what to do yeah <laughs> i think i learned how to do that yeah. at first it was really hard nasa was kind of like a like, like almost like a school for learning how to be able to give guidance to my heroes it was pretty much like the best it was like many heroes yeah. packed in like a couple years that i was in the studio with and i was like you know in my mid-20s and kind of learning how to I, it was a crash course on how that. did that come together so quickly and so like early in your career P just patience and persistence really you know like i mean the record took a long time yeah it took probably five years all in all but the last two years was the majority of of the stuff and and yeah it was just patience and and gaining momentum it took a long time before we got anybody but then one of the first we got david byrne and then it was a lot easier to get other people because they're like david byrne's on this yeah. rad and then one another early one was we did we got the last old dirty bastard recording and we did a song with Karen. Yeah. It was Karen and ODB's last song. And then when we had those two songs and people heard that, it was easier to kind of get uh people interested. Of all the people to like have involved early on, how does how does David Byrne get on board? David Byrne, I I actually uh I, I'm friends with his niece. So I just like again like with NASA it was yeah. just like how the hell am I going to get in touch with these people I'll do anything it takes and I just love David Byrne I'm such a big fan of his and so we sent him the track and he loves Brazilian music and 
and you know it was very brazilian influenced and uh he just uh, like wrote back immediately sent him he sent him an email it was forwarded like 10 minutes later or something my friend his niece wrote me back and said David's interest here's interested here's his email i wonder how much of these things not getting off the ground is just people like being afraid to ask the question and like ask somebody to work with them yeah i think that's definitely the thing like it's self-defeating right yeah and i think yeah artists we want to make awesome shit and somebody sends us something regardless whether we know them or not if we love it or if we're open-minded people and we love it we're gonna do it and uh i really discovered that in in, uh, on nasa on the nasa record you know it's like i was like wow if i just reach out to Tom waits and he hears something that he likes, he's going to be into it and collaborate. How strictly structured are, are your days? Like, you know, when, when you're really actively like working on a project, is this, I mean, is music something that you're basically thinking about 24 seven music and filmmaking? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, pretty much. It's pretty hard for me to switch off. Yeah. And I pretty much work all the time every day. Is that a good thing? I like it. Yeah. I think when I slow down, it's it's a lot harder for me than when I'm really busy. Like being really consumed with pro- a project or projects is my happiest state of being. How do you avoid getting burnt out? Yeah, I don't know. I'm still I'm still working on that. You're out here now for I guess like a, like a week or so. Are you actually working on music while you're out here? I have a project I'm doing with this children's chorus that I can't talk about too much, but that's what I'm working on okay. while I'm out here. Um, and just a bunch of meetings and yeah. stuff. Yeah, so that's what I'm doing here. And then it looks like we're going to be recording in in, uh, in London next week. Does it change the process when, when you have your name on it? I mean, versus like, you know, working under a pseudonym or, or a collective or something like that when it's when, when the first thing people see is, is you. It's almost like going from being in a band to being a solo artist. You can't really blame anyone else if it's bad. Yeah. I don't think it changes the project, the process, in, except in that, like, for instance, the, these these other projects I had, like, you know, when I used to use the moniker Squeaky Clean, it was broader. But, like, with NASA, it was always kind of about space. Mm-hmm. It was some space element. It was about the kind of duality, and it was about community. And uh, and and so I stayed within those frame line, uh, those kind of frame lines, and, and, and I think... And then with Maximum Headroom, it's about technology and love and loneliness and 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 connection. And uh, and and then with Sam Spiegel stuff, now that I'm doing the Sam Spiegel stuff, it's it's interesting because I'm like, whoa, like I'm so used to having these guidelines, and uh, and now this is just me, and I can just do anything I want. Constraints can be useful when yeah. it comes to making something creative, right? Yeah, the tyranny of the blank page. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, oh, I like that expression. Yeah, it is. It's it's a little sometimes it's a little daunting. I'm like, wow, yeah. okay, what do I, I can write a song about anything? I guess with the Sam Spiegel stuff, it, in general, um, it, it feels more personal. I'm trying to. It's more about like um, just my emotions than than that. While as the other stuff was more conceptual. Do you feel like you've had to kind of put the video stuff on on the back burner while you focused on music? No, I I, uh, I mean, all the music I'm releasing right now, it's music that I've been working on for, I basically didn't release very much music for mm. a while. Like, there was a couple years that I was very quiet on the music front. So these songs are songs that I've made over the past few years, and I'm putting a collection of uh, songs out now th- about once a month, 
And these are all songs that have been made from the last like six months to the last like four or five years, even some of them. And, uh, and so, um, and ultimately they'll all come out as a package album called random shit from the internet era, but I'm putting one out uh, a month and, and, and it's really, this is just like, I'm, it, this almost feels like I'm like clearing my cleansing, uh, yeah. cleansing all my musical stuff and just get yeah. it out there. And, and it's all songs that I really love and have meant a lot to me. And uh, how do you know what to prioritize and, and focus on when you've got so many things going at the same time? That's the learn something I'm trying to learn yeah. actually, uh, because I have a million things I'm working on and it drives me nuts. The burnout thing, it's, yeah. it's real, you know, like at one point we, during, while we were filming, it was, it was the day before we were, no, two days before we were shooting Wu-Tang, we released a song and the day before we were shooting Wu-Tang, we did a sensorium experience and it was, it was, I felt like I was about to explode. And so I'm trying to figure out exactly how to, how to prioritize and really what it is is like, I have like the the best manager this uh, this guy Blade and and it's just constantly talking and reprioritizing and, and Blade and I just talk all the time and and and, uh, and he's kind of like a more of a partner than anything so like just repri- talking and reprioritizing very frequently and seeing what feels right and what's the most important thing and also having a plan having like we have like a five year plan you know so it's like we we kind of know what what's what and but it changes stuff comes yeah. up that's exciting and important but uh and that's where the reprioritizing happens but but having this kind of long-term plan has been really awesome what do things look like five years out from now for you maybe i, I i'm not ready to talk about all this stuff but there's a lot of stuff on the film front and on the music front coming and it's all kind of interconnected and also on the experience front coming that's it's all kind of interconnected There you go. That was director and producer Sam Spiegel. Thanks to him. Thanks to Joe for helping set up that conversation. Sam's most recent project we talked about a bit on there is the Wu-Tang in Space Eating Impossible Sliders. You can find that over on YouTube along with his various musical projects. Thanks so much to him for taking the time to do that. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like this show, there are so many ways to support us. You can rate and review us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you happen to get your podcasts. Like us on Facebook. Facebook. Follow us on Tumblr. That's rolcast.tumblr.com. If you have any feedback, it's rolcast at gmail.com. And that's about it for now, Sister Ground, because we are going to be back in the not too distant future with another episode of RIYL.